And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, just like a Murillo Crossfield ball. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win? Only via the app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery free in terms of apply. See mcdonalds.com. Danilo's free. It goes to get Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Red Side of Trent and we come to you shortly after Nottingham Forest first Premier League win of the season for 23-24 following a 2-1 win over Sheffield United under the lights at the City Grounds with goals from Taiwo Awani and an 89th minute goal from Chris Woods. I am with Reese and Lee today we are sadly one short of a full house as Adam is currently destroying all his poker competition I believe. Uh, Good luck to him in that. We'll see how he gets on. Um, find out about that next week. So, yeah, anyway, we'll jump right into it. So, Reese, obviously, delighted that on a personal note that you got to go back to Forest. Really, really happy. Great, good, good. You got a win as well. So, that's, that's superb stuff. And it's a lightning start, wasn't it, really? I mean, what were you even like? <laughs> had the stewards even come up the uh, the steps yet to let people notice that sit down or anything before that goal went in? Um, talk yeah. me through the start and talk me through the goal. No, no, they hadn't. They they they, they tried once in the first half. You know what? You know what it's like. You you've you sit up there as well, Christian. They they try. There's them people who obviously stay stood up. So the people who do sit down like, are like, look, I can't see. So then they're stood up and then they just kind of give up. I think it's just, it's basically an exercise to try and say, look, we are trying to do something. So it kind of nips out in the bud, doesn't it? But um, I mean, the, the start was everything I expected personally. Um, I expected us to take the game to Sheffield United. And, you know, it, it was five minutes in, wasn't it? You know, it was a, a brilliant cross from Oye, right, right on the money, and then Taro's got in between their two centre halves, Antti, and the power's on the ball. And he, he's just put a bit of extra in it, and you know, Fodringham's got no chance. And we all kind of looked at each other, me and my friends, and that after we had celebrated, and we was like, that was a bit too easy, wasn't it? And we was kind of thinking, these are really here for the taking here, and I generally thought. Once we did score after five minutes, I generally thought we were going to put them to the sword. Um, so, as we'll discuss, obviously that didn't happen. And it was typical Forrest in the sense that 
we had to do it the hard way as per usual. Yeah, we, yeah, we do have a, a uh, was it habit that we have making was it um, mountain out of a molehill forest, don't we? I mean, it was two minutes and twenty two seconds we got that goal from Taiwo, which is quite unique in a sense that he's become right. the first Nigerian. Yeah, first Nigerian to score in six consecutive Premier League games. The first Forest player to do so since Stan Collymore back in 1995, which is remarkable, really, from Taiwo's perspective. Absolutely, like, absolutely incredible. Like, it's just like I saw someone uh, describe his celebration. They said it's like it's colder than the um, underside of your pillow when you wake up in the morning, the way he just walks off after scoring a goal like it's nothing. You've got limbs flying everywhere in the back um, from, the, from the fans, and there's just him, just the calmest man in the whole stadium. I oh, do love Taiwo. But is as the, um, recently to that... Record a, is the record 11 for consecutive games? Is it... Vardy's got it, Anthony, was it 11? Vardy, yeah, I think he's got 12. Game? I think Vardy got 12, 12 he broke Yeah, I think the only Africans with more consecutive um runs is Salah and Ali Bayor. So he's in pretty good company, Taiwo, to yeah, be fair. Bad, yeah. So and yeah, it really is a reward of his you know, his hard work. But yeah, as the as Reese alluded to, there was a huge, huge golfing class. Uh, it looked like you know, and you can see what they were trying to do at Sheffield United, that they were trying to suck us down to their level really, but they were doing it against Premier League players. And I think that was a difference before like, it just seemed that for a good 25 minutes, half an hour, you know, it was just almost a training exercise in terms of the quality. But the most frustrating thing for me, and I'm sure you'll echo this as well, was that we just couldn't find a way to put them to the sword, despite several chances, especially from set pieces. Uh, what did you make of that 25, 30 minute period? And did you, like Reese and myself, think that, you know, we're, we're done and dusted before half hour at this point? Yeah, the, the second goal is always key, isn't it? I think, um, especially in this league, more so than than when we we're in the championship. I think the second goal is is still key, and I think with how bad Sheffield United were in that first twenty twenty five minutes, had we scored a second, I'd have fancied us to go and get four or five because they would have just completely capitulated. Um, and I know it's easy to say that, and that's not me taking anything away from what Sheffield United did later into the game. Um, but they were all over the place. They reminded me of us last season at this at this stage. I know we went and beat West Ham, but particularly on our travels, it, it was a carbon copy of our performance at Newcastle. If Newcastle had scored earlier against us, they'd have, they'd have put us to the sword, wouldn't they? So uh, they, they were missing headers. The, the, the biggest players on the pitch got smaller when they jumped. Um, I mean, it says it all, doesn't it, that a man in red-hot form was just left the freedom of the the six-yard box to head home. It's It must have been infuriating for the manager. Um, what a shame for him. Um, but yeah, it, they just reminded me of that. We all said, sitting watching, they just reminded of us of us 12 months ago. Um, so yeah, it was. At that point, I did think we would go on and kind of win pretty comfortably, to be honest. But uh, as I'm sure we'll get into, it wasn't to be. No, that's it. Exactly. I, I thought as well, like, and we had, chances too. I mean, Worrell was picked out completely unmarked for corner. Bolly got completely underneath one corner and had another chance as well from another set piece. You know, obviously Gibbs White, that tremendous piece of skill to four half time. You know, he has a few options to play it into and maybe takes the wrong option by going and shooting obviously going over the bar. You know, we really, they were really poor. I was I was just surprised at how poor they were. And yeah, but obviously that's we can only control what we're playing in front of us. However, yeah, their game plan did effectively start to work. I noticed it about the 30, 35 minute mark when they started to dig their heels in a little bit, Sheffield United, and this sort of did suck us down to their level. 
and you know the warning signs were there we didn't heed them necessarily and within two minutes of the second half they hit us with a counter punch straight after half time um obviously every goal we look at we can say is a disappointing goal to concede because there'd be something somewhere in the build-up that you know we could have been done better but did you see anything of note that at the time that you felt was particularly poor with how we dealt with that goal obviously it's an outstanding finish from Hamer. there's no getting away from that but also maybe preventable as well yeah it was something from last season what we really struggled with was we kept conceding these screams from outside the area but we just wasn't closing these players down um i think that's the one fault you could say from um that goal you can't give Premier. I know Hamish just come up from the Championship in Coventry, but he's highly rated. You can't give Premier League players a chance to basically control it, get it out of foot, and then use players as a marker, uh, as you know, Bolly last week, and I think was it maybe McKenna this week, to just to bend it round. And as soon as that left his boot, that was in. You could see, you could see it obviously I was at that end. As soon as that left his boot, I was like, Turner's got no chance of saving that. It was a great, it's a great strike. You can't take that nothing, nothing away from him on that sense. But as you say, Christian, we just, we just allowed them to creep back into the game, and and this is something about Sheffield United where I've grown up as a kid, very, very physical, make it tough, and they, they reminded me kind of a championship team really coming in the FA Cup and digging in, like you said, digging the heels in. There was a couple of snappy challenges. Um, you know, Jack Robinson put a couple in. Um, obviously, they had the three in midfield, didn't they, compared to our two, which they started to get on top of us. And, um, yeah, obviously, they got physical. And, obviously, once they got that equaliser, um, I was slightly concerned that we was going to go on and lose the game, to be honest. Um, but, you know, as I'm sure you lastly, thankfully, Cooper made the right changes and matched them up in midfield, which allowed us to get back on top. No, it was very concerning um, how... I mean, I think I, I was you know, obviously looking at my phone and watching like, in disbelief at what I was seeing. Like, we just went from, you know, it, it was so difficult for me to comprehend that literally 20, 25 minutes earlier, we were knocking the ball around with such confidence and such swagger. And, you know, like it looked like you know, we actually it reminded me actually of how we played when we got promoted. And it felt like we went one the up. I was like, you know, this is it, game over. Like, I mean, it actually had that sort of feel to it when we got promoted. And you knew if Forrest took the lead at the City ground, that was it. It didn't matter who they had or who were playing, whether it was Coventry, Swansea, you know, anyone. If we went one the up at home, that was it, home and nosed. And yeah, it was just to see us, I'm pretty sure I counted, but I think I was looking at my phone, I think it was nine minutes into the second half where we finally completed two consecutive passes, which is abysmal absolutely abysmal and there's no way of getting around that it was such a Jekyll and Hyde performance in a lot of ways and Lee really we were very lucky not to go 2-1 down I mean I felt that the back three were how to say this questionable at numerous times during the game and perhaps none more so than when Warrell and McKenna basically ran into each other and let Traore in one-on-one and forced Matt Turner into uh, a good save. I mean, obviously, that was a huge let-off from that moment, maybe even a game-changing moment. But from your perspective, what were you thinking? I mean, if that's a better team, they score that, surely? Yeah, they they do. Um, what was I thinking? I, I mean, I think if they'd scored in that point, it reminded me of the... Uh, we talk about carbon copies from 12 months ago. It reminded me when Bournemouth went 3-2 up and... We were just dead and buried then. Um, 
I think it'd have been the same on Friday if they'd have scored there, because we like like you've just alluded to, we we could barely put two passes together, which was just weird. It was I actually was like praising Forrest and Cooper in the first half because like you say, we were knocking it about with ease and it was almost like we'd benefited from keeping as much as we've not had many new signings to kind of shout about, we were clearly reaping the rewards of having most of the team that we had for the entirety of last season available. So it was just really, it was such a weird performance. Um, there's a saying, isn't there? The easy way, the hard way, the forest way. And it really was. Um, but yeah, I think if, um, I can't remember who it was who went through, to be fair, but it, it looked like a player who's a new signing and waiting for his first Prem goal, I suppose. Um, I think there's, to be fair to Worrell, he, he does quite well to get back just in the nick of time he, obviously he doesn't get back in time to make a challenge but there's one little touch that you see where he has to take it kind of wide and I think that allows Turner to close the angle down a little bit so um, not to give him too much credit because obviously he caused it in the first place but I think he did um, he did kind of redeem himself a little bit there by doing just enough to it's a bit of a cliche with the commentators isn't it? he's, he's done just enough uh, to put him off and I think that's probably why Turner was able to make the save yeah, I mean, we were, it was quite a poor finish as well. Maybe you're right. Maybe that extra touch he takes just sort of throws him off stride a little bit. Because I did feel it was sort of, you know, it was a good save from Turner, get me wrong, but it's sort of one of those that, you know, it was a comfortable height for him to get to. He was just fortunate enough that we had someone equipped to the task to deal with it at the time. But yeah, that was um, hugely concerning. And however, however, that did prompt um, Cooper into making some changes, Reese. He did decide to put, well, put another midfielder on. Although, yeah, some interesting changes at times. So, for the change shape, it looked like we went to all the 4 2 3 1. So, obviously, we still had the two in the midfield rather than the three. But obviously, the key was obviously Ryan Yates coming on because I've never seen, ever, ever, ever seen Ryan Yates play that well in the Forest shirt in my life. It was like, like I said to you in the chat, half jokingly, it was like watching Edgar Davids back in the Netherlands days. Uh, the way he was just there, I think he won every duel he contested for. He was getting stuck in. And one thing you mentioned after the game, Reese, was that, or during the game even, was that, you know, we weren't matching them for desire, even though we were clearly technically better than them. We weren't actually matching them for one. And that seemed to change when Yates came on the pitch. Um, would you say, obviously, we said about game-changing moment potentially being that miss, but would you, from a Forest perspective, would you say that was a moment where it sort of tilted back into our favour again? Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say so because um, you're sticking in. God, we've, we've discussed Ryan Yates on this podcast over the years. We've done it till the cars come home, but that was a type of game for him um, Friday night. And I was surprised to be honest; he wasn't in the lineup because what Ryan Yates does well is hassle. It makes life difficult, and against a side with respect to Sheffield United, very championship-looking side. I thought you needed him in there and you could clearly see the difference when he did come on because he was the only one willing to put a foot in. You know, with no disrespect to Mangala and Danilo, but they aren't really that type of midfielder, are they? So, thankfully, Cooper did get him on. Um, I mean, it's something I said probably 10 minutes before he did come on. Um, thankfully, he did. I think that chance, what they had, might have probably forced his hand to actually think, yeah, we need to change this. And um, as soon as he did come on, we also Alanga come on, didn't he? I think they started to, to retreat a little bit then, Sheffield United, and, and we got a bit more foothold in the game. Um, so, yeah, the cha them changes did work. And um, obviously, as um, I won't steal Lee's funder, but um, the Chris Wood one worked. Um, there was a few 
few boos, weren't they? I think I think that was for more for Tyro coming off personally. I'd I'd hate to think that, you know, a guy's coming on and they're booing him coming on. I mean that that's that's poor. But I, obviously I think even myself at the time was like, I thought Tyro's our man of the match. You kind of think he's your focal point. Why is he coming off? With respect to Chris Wood, somebody who's obviously not hit the ground running at Forest. So um, you can see why people might question it under the breath light, but it obviously turned out to be a masterstroke in the end. Indeed. Lee, obviously you want to remember you've uh, said as well that you were sort of like, these are some quite odd subs with your terminology, that's what you said. Um, but lo and behold, it did actually manage to work. I mean, one thing I will say about Wood is that he does look a lot, I don't know, he's, he looks a bit leaner, he looks a bit fitter than he did when he signs six seven months ago and um yeah i mean it was it wasn't necessarily one that was coming as such i would say but we were obviously growing into the team we had more we were clearly the ascendancy as such but we weren't necessarily carving out that many chances but i mean you would have thought that Sheffield United would have learned their lesson really of stopping Aurier crossing the ball from deep but no i'll let you uh i'll let you lead away with the match winning my yeah i mean i mean in terms of the Odd subs. I kind of just thought it was odd to take Tyro off, but I, I guess thinking about it in hindsight, is he's clearly had that bit of a knock. He's not done much of pre-season, has he? So I guess in that sense, it made. Sense. I thought he might just go with two big guys, considering we'd already scored with with a cross and a, a ball into the box. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I actually I'm not sure if people were booing that Tyro coming off because I actually don't think they started until Wood was running onto the pitch. Um, Nothing will surprise me with with the fan base because we do have some absolute morons, frankly. Um, but fair play to him. I mean, the best the best thing he can do is keep scoring because I, I'm getting sick of being linked with players and then you you see someone pop up and say, "If we'd not spent 15 million on Chris Wood, well, we did." So we kind of have to move on. We can't go back and rewrite that. We kind of have to move on as a club. And ultimately, at the moment, we have to move on with Wood as the backup to Tyro because. Um, well, he's, he's what we've got. And while he's scoring, then it is what it is. Um, as a centre-forward, you're always going to be judged on what you're doing in front of goal. And it was a great header. I mean, I actually didn't think it was not to take anything away from him, but I just thought it was a routine target man, bullet header, bang, goal. But the the fact he actually crouches himself down to to make sure he you know gets a, a good contact on the ball, um, I mean, I've said all along... Uh, the majority of, I don't know how many games Wood played for us last season, but the majority of games he played for us, he was being asked to play in that wide left role that Cooper liked Tyro to play in. That was a waste of time. It was a waste of time signing him if we were going to do that because he's just not suited to it. If if we persist with Wood, which we probably will, he's, he's made a good start to the season, you've got to kind of change how you approach um, in the final third. You've got to get it wide and you've got to get a ball into the box and get Wood between the post with his head because... Dare I say that's probably where he scored the majority of the the fifty odd goals he's scored in the Premier League. So he's definitely a different option, but he people need to kind of stop comparing him as exactly the same sort of player as Tyro because Tyro can do the the ugly stuff on the left hand side. Whereas if you put him Wood on, it says to me that right we're going to load the flanks, get it in the box, and hope that Wood can do what he did on Friday night. So like I say, all he can do is keep scoring and hopefully. Just back him. I mean, he doesn't seem like a, a bad egg, unlike the other player we signed from Newcastle. He seems like a good character. He's clearly worked hard on his physique and his fitness to get back from this injury. 
I mean, it, another thing that we've always said about other players that we won't mention, no player chooses how much they cost. It, that's completely irrelevant to the player, and I think it's completely unfair to judge him on that. Um, it was a lot of money for a, a player that fits his profile and 31 years old and that sort of stuff, but that's not his fault. And as fans, it's our duty to back him. No, I completely agree with that, and I think what you said is actually very true because the difference between him and the he who shall not eh, shall not be named, we'll go with, uh, is huge. I mean, you've got one one player there in Woods who you know he's he's not let his ego get in the way. He's knuckled down. He's clearly worked hard to get, like I said, working on his physique, working on his fitness. Uh, obviously, getting his injury back, his rehab done, doing everything professionally, doing everything though, properly, and you know. You compare that to someone who threw a massive mard because he had a calf injury and was told that he wasn't going to be starting at Anfield in a, in a game that we needed to get something from, and then subsequently didn't play again for the rest of the season because of that. It's just like you know, it's just night, it's night and day, really, isn't it? In terms of like the characters, I mean, that's that's the sort of thing. Like I think it goes back to the characters you want in the dressing room. You want people like. Woods and it was interesting that he came out after the game and said that like well he didn't come out Cooper did and said that he was part of like, the leadership sort of group and I can see why because that's the mentality he's got I can completely see why and you know fair play to him for that too but Reese, I mean what a ball from Mario when did this uh David Beckham trend come from uh little surge because I didn't know he had that in his locker yeah I mean the the two balls what he put in for the goals were, were on the money um I must say, I know, I know Lee did say there, Wood's header was good. I thought that was an absolutely brilliant header because you mentioned at the start, Christian, about um, Warrell and Bolly, where there was good balls in and they were trying to put the power on the header, whereas really they just needed direction. All Wood's done there is, like Lee said, he's crashed and he's just directed that. The power's on the ball, just direct it and he's looped it right into the far corner. And again, <laughs> Foddingham, he's got no chance, has he? Um, brilliant, brilliant header really was um hopefully you know like like lee said we i mean let, let's be honest we all thought 15 million was a poor deal um because i think he's only on a one-year deal into as well which um does beg a few questions to be honest but um he's obviously gonna be here this season because we've technically signed him in the summer we're not going to like sign him in the summer for 15 million and then he's gonna go uh, i'd imagine so so he's probably going to be your backup and, and again, like Lee says, if you put the ball into the box, like we did against Manchester City, like we did the other night against Sheffield United, he's had really two chances. You know, I, to be honest, it was, I think he's made the most out of that ball as well. It was a good ball into a good area, but he's still got a lot to do the other night. And, um, and he's done it. So obviously, you've got to play to his strengths again, like Lee said. But um, yeah, I mean, going back to Aurier, I mean, Two quality crosses, um, and as we'll come on to later in the pod, um, obviously with links elsewhere to another right back, maybe signing it might mean that Ore might be on his way. But um, obviously that's just the rumours at the minute. But yeah, two two really good balls into the box. Yeah, it was, it was interesting that we went more for not direct route as such, but obviously with Forest before when we crossed the ball, it's normally sort of byline with pace and cut it back across goal. But we were notably. Like crossing from deeper positions, it did seem to suit like both Tyro and Woods. But you, you are right in that you know he he couldn't place that any better. Woods the way he just guides it into the corner, like 
anywhere else really like if it's slightly more to the right it's going to be saved but you literally it's, it's just like the perfect point about a goal where Fotheringham's got no chance of getting to it was just such a good finish and you know like I said like fair play to both like still got a lot of detractors and stuff like that but um yeah hopefully can keep scoring and keep proving people wrong but Lee I mean we could have added quite a fair bit of icing onto the cake because after that goal and um Obviously, we, we had eight minutes of stoppage time as well as part of the uh, the new laws that dictate that you know, the clock never stops running out. And yeah, I mean, Sheffield United's defence just went all at sea. I know Alanga came very close to scoring late on and it just seemed that, you know, that moment as well where Yates just kept the ball in the corner flag for like two minutes and then managed to fashion a chance from it. But if you did you think if we do like to score a goal in that last eight minutes where more and more space became evident and obvious. Do you think that would have been a fair reflection or did you think that 2-1 was fair or United were even unlucky to leave empty-handed completely? Good question. Um, no, I, I mean, it, it doesn't pay me to say it because I know that um, Sheffield United is it's a bit of a rivalry, but the Sheffield United fans that I know are actually largely sound. Um and I actually think 2-1 was probably a fair reflection of the game. We had the beginning and the end, and they had the bit in the middle for me. Um, if you split the game into half-hour periods, I think exactly that. Um, so, yeah, I think it would have been nice to get another goal, obviously from our point of view, obviously goal difference and, and that sort of stuff. But, um, no, I, th- I think it would have been probably a little bit harsh on Sheffield United had Alanga scored at the end and uh, made it 3-1. Um, I mean, it's weird with Sheffield United because... I can't make my mind up if they're going to get some batterings or if the, if once they've got sort of like McBurney fit and they've got a bit of a focal point. I'm not saying they'll go and get results, but I, they worked really hard for their manager. That's one thing I will praise Eckenbottom for. He's got a bunch of players there that will give absolute everything for 95 minutes, 98 minutes, whatever it is these days, for 38 weeks this season. They will do that. Um, will it be enough to keep them up? Probably not, um, if they're losing games like they were on fr- uh, Friday night. But... Yeah, I think they played. I think they played quite well on Friday for for large parts of that game. So, and like we've already said, if they'd have scored when they had their chances, then it it might have been them that was going away with the three points. So, pleased with the two one, and I think you know to give them a little bit of praise, I think it was a, a fair reflection of how the game went. Yeah, as I said, I think it's just important for us to be got the win. Like I said to you in the build up to it, I didn't care how we did, we just needed to win that game. And especially early on in the season when you're not fully cohesive yet as well. You think if like you no, know, I was talking one of my Arsenal mates was talking to me about it and he said that look, from his he doesn't care if he wins the first four games of season one nil, it's just getting points to the board early on and then moving from that point onwards, you can worry about performances a bit more further down the line once you've got everyone in, all your signings are in, that sort of thing. You can play, um, pick a system that's gonna work. But but before the window shuts, it's just about getting you know, points on the board and thankfully we managed to do that especially at their expense as well it's good to see Paul Heckingbottom took the defeat with natural grace and elegance and um hope it was a very pleasant journey home for him but anyway we're now going to move on to our slept on it thoughts red side of the trent <laughs> slept on it thoughts so yes slept on it thoughts we'll start with adam who said, good to win, but we have to be more purposeful if we are going to adapt a way of playing a possession-based game. Formation personnel didn't quite work. Hoping the performance was more to the fact that the pressure was to win with our upcoming away games, or just a different way of playing rather than having to defend deep and break. 
Emma says, I'm not Jack Robinson's biggest fan, but he bullied Johnson all night. Wonderful assist from Serge, but my God, we could difficult for ourselves. Should have gone for the kill having scored so early. Uh, Thomas Deaton says, for 30 minutes, we're brilliant. And Sheffield United made it into a dog shit championship X match. Again, start the blocks for their equaliser. Last 20 minutes, we were a lot better and we deserved the win. But when we're in this tendency, we need to make it pay. Sammy Slack said, Yace has to start. Until we become a progressive football side, he is imperative to this team. Personally, think we need three in the middle as we get overrun without it. Uh, Nigel Clough, the son of God, said this game had banana skin written all over it. So really glad that we got the three points. Plenty to work on, but a type of game we didn't get anything from last season. So it's progress. Chris Wood will get eight plus for us this season. You heard it here first. Brandon said, either Johnson's heart isn't in it anymore. He's unfit. Either way, it was like playing with 10 men, shying away from isolating Robinson, playing to not get hurt. Slowed us down was the reason we kept going backwards. Please for Woods and Tyway will keep us up if he's fit. Elliot says, so happy for Wood getting his goal. This game was a potential banana skin. We nearly slipped up on and thanks to Matt Turner for saving the game. Yates was superb when he came on. Please sort out that horrible grey timer on the scoreboard as I could barely see it in Block M. It wasn't just in Block M, Elliot. The whole ground couldn't see that. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Um, Todd Mills said, flat performance against a poor side. Three points is all that matters. Given we play City, United and Chelsea all the way in the next four games. Sounds pretty easy, doesn't it, that? Not daunting at all. Highlight what we read in you. We need a top centre-back and a top CM. Phil says, how we got three points from that, I'll never know. Cooper's got that all wrong. If you play two in midfield and Yates simply has to be one of them. Or is not a wing-back. That's an interesting one, Reese, because I know you've mentioned something similar on those lines. Hamer man the match, absolutely bossed that midfield. Happy for Wood, that's two goals and four points he's got us. Big improvement needed going forwards. And the last one, obviously we do have quite a few to read out, but... This is Snowboard Pete. It says, great to get the win and points on the balls. Nice goals from both strikers, which is what we need when Wood comes off the bench. But simple mistakes that better teams would have pounced on and some lack of movement when we had the ball. Learn from it and move on. As always, thank you all of you for getting your step on it thoughts into us. It's always great when there's too many to read and it normally happens after a win. So it's always nice. But um, yes, we're now going to look at a few player reviews. And I'm going to start, Reese with Morgan Gibbs-White. They obviously may have had a point to prove against his former club. Um, they were very vociferous when he's taking corners over on that side, which I found a little bit strange. But it's very strange because I don't think that was a particularly good Gibbs-White display. And yet he's left with that like, two-and-a-half-minute compilation of him taking a piss out their entire team. So <laughs> how do you think he got, uh, got on? Um, he set such high standards, anti really. Um yeah, I, I kind of do agree. What what just frustrated me a little bit about Morgan the other night was the times when he could have just got the ball under and he, and he just um, decided with a casual flick. That's actually what started the um, the chance for Sheffield when Warrell and McKenna clashed. He, um, there was an easy pass on for the, into the left channel. I think we had a player free and he tried a flick and they intercepted it and then obviously punted it long and there was a mix-up at the back. But um, yeah, I mean... The one way he spun their players in the first half and they had that curler what went over. He's end of the day to lad, he's still young and he's still learning. He's gonna have weeks where things aren't gonna come off. But you know, I love watching Morgan Gibbs White is such an exciting player to watch. He gets you on the edge of your seat, don't you? Especially when he, he carries the ball running at the fence. So um no, I'm not I won't give him any stick in that. But um but uh, yeah, I just Probably, yeah, just a flicks thing for me. I'd just like to probably maybe see him 
just get the ball under control. I know why I get what he's trying to do because he does try and play on the half turn and he like tries to flick it around the corner and then he's already on the turn, so he's he's ready for that next pass nice and quickly. But um I think at times why especially why when the midfield's um because I think it's clear now, really, to be honest, that we can't play with a two in midfield. I mean, Sheffield United, if we're playing against the three, I mean, Sheffield United, I don't think we'll come up personally against the worst team this season at home. I think we've probably just got to go with a three in there. And, um, yeah, while we're kind of doing that, we just need to get hold of the ball and possession of the football, which for that period at the start of the second half, we couldn't really do, couldn't we? But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go um, give him any stick or anything. Like say, he's not going to be every single week. He's going to be amazing. There's going to be some weeks where he's not at the high standards he is, as he's set. So, um, so yeah, that's uh, my take on it, really. Nothing more to say. Just to, <laughs> just to weigh in on oh, Gibbs White, if I may, uh, the, biggest, course, the biggest praise I can give him, and I think this is the reason why, even when it doesn't seem... Like we you, in our group, we someone shared the stats straight after the final whistle, and even I was a little bit shocked to be fair because mm. a lot of the the figures were best on the pitch sort of thing. The, the biggest praise I can give him is even when things aren't coming off for him, he never shirks away from wanting the ball. Yeah, he's always looking to get that that pass. He wants if he, if he messes it up, he's keen to get on it again and make amends and. It that that's a for a young lad. I think that's a skill because when you've got thirty thousand fans who. It's 1-1 against arguably the, one of the worst teams in the league where we need to win. It would be very easy for a young lad to kind of just go and not show for the ball, go and stand behind a defender and, and not really show for it. But he never does that ever. Even if he's being, we saw it last season where he was getting kicked and that sort of stuff. He just gets up, dusts himself off and wants the ball. And when, nine times out of 10, we give it him and then he, and then he does something good. So it, it just kind of bumps his stats up again, doesn't it? Because he, he, he does see so much of the ball. No, it's true. It's 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 as you said, the stats are so telling. It was weird because, like, you know, again, I think it's down, like Ray said, it's down to the standards he sets himself. Because, as I've said before on this podcast several times, Gibbs White is a player that I would happily pay money just to watch play football. He's that good. And obviously, you know, he's only human. There'll be times where he isn't up to the standards he sets himself. He will, in my opinion, be a semi England regular and probably play for a team that will be competing for trophies every season. That's that's genuinely the ceiling I think he has. And, you know, it's just so exciting having a player of that calibre over his time and just seeing how he gets on. I mean, it's just fascinating that even when he isn't quite fully on it, he still has the ability to just make a mockery of teams at times. And, like, I don't know if maybe he was trying a little bit too hard to prove a point against them, but, you know, he was, yeah, by his standards, it wasn't his best showing, but he was still classy, still great to watch. Yeah, I think he was quite surprised as well that he was actually getting some stick off their fans. He took a couple of corners, Mm. obviously, where I was sitting, Upper Bridgeford in my corner, and um, their fans were giving him stick, and I think he was a bit perplexed by that. Um, I'm not saying that's put him off his game. That that might lead him to your point, well, Christian, where he's he's kind of trying a bit too hard to try and prove them wrong and trying to maybe force Mm. things a little bit where, you know, with like, I was saying like with the flicks and stuff, but um, Nah, he's he's a, he's a lovely footballer to watch. I love watching him. Definitely, yeah. I mean, it's not like chip on shoulder FC to take issue with something that for a player that's something <laughs> incredibly welcome in the past. But anyway, 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage of McDelivery. You win? Order now on McDonald's app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery free in terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey. Lee, we're going to move on to Serge Aurier now for you, who, despite his attacking, it was an interesting game because like, a few people know this as well, actually, that obviously his, his assists were brilliant. He nearly had a third assist as well, to be fair. Um, there's an outstanding interception from Armin Hodzic, which wasn't a very nice present for his old team, but it's okay. Uh, we'll take the points instead. And um, where he just like, you know, got his toe on it just before um, Taiwo was there. And again, like I said, you would have thought they would learn not to let him cross the ball from deep if he did it twice before and nearly led to goal both times but his all-round play was fascinating I would say and a few people noted that he may so he looks a bit more frustrated than normal with his teammates I don't know if that's because we were just being sucked down to a level or that's because that you know obviously it's just competitive nature but how did you think Serge Aurier got on? I don't think he was frustrated with his teammates I think he was probably frustrated at the role he's been asked to play this season Um I think Cooper seems hell-bent on getting those full-backs bombing forward again, whereas last year it was kind of a needs-must. We'll play a flat-back four, but when you play in that three, when we've got the ball, they've got to make extra options on the flanks. Obviously, Williams is capable of running up and down, whereas Aurier's, it's never been his game throughout his career. I mean, I, I kind of hesitate when I say he doesn't look fit enough. Of course, he's a fit enough player because he's a Premier League footballer, but is he fit enough for that role? Whether it's is he, I don't think it's a fitness thing. I think it's more of a is he enough of an athlete and has he done that role enough in his career to now be tasked with doing it age 30? I'm not sure. There was a couple of times where he got forward and then, um, oh, I can't think what his name was who they put on at left back at half time. Uh, he used to play for Liverpool, didn't they? Larucci, is it, or something? Uh, there was a couple of sound like Lamucci, yeah, yeah, that's it. There was, yeah. there was a couple of there was a couple of times where he just kind of someone had lost the ball. It wasn't always Aurier, to be fair. Um, and then there was just a massive open ground ahead of him. And I think he was just frustrated at the fact that he's been asked to bomb forward. But then it, it was, there was a couple of times when it was like he was running through treacle. And like I say, I don't think it's that he's not fit. I just think it's that he's going to struggle to do that role for 90 minutes because, like I say, it's, he's never been used to doing that in his career. Um so, yeah, I think that's where the frustrations would go. I don't think he was bad. There was just a couple of times where, like we've said before, with other stuff in the game, against a better opposition, if that's Jack Grealish, he's going to be in the, on the edge of the box in no time. Um, same goes for someone like Rashford or something like that. So, it's certainly, I think his performance will have given Cooper food, food for thought. Um, but, I mean, come on, I'm not going to knock him too much. He, he created two amazing assists. Um, like we've just said, he could have had three or four. What was, I found quite amusing was lots of people were up in arms why we didn't sign Max Lowe. I mean, 
his injury record in itself would be enough not to, for me not to sign him in the Prem. But he, after conceding that goal in the first three minutes, he let him cross two more balls in within about three minutes. And my Sheffield United fan, he texts me and he's like, this is exactly the problem with Max Lowe playing there. We if, if he plays there all season, we'll concede about 100 goals. Um, and it was no surprise he went off at half-time. But yeah, in terms of Aurier, I think um, it doesn't need overanalyzing. I just think it's that role that he's been asked to do. There's no way on this earth that might sound harsh, but... We, we can't ask Aurier to do that over the course of a 38-game season. It just won't. Cooper won't want him there. He'll want someone who's a bit more, you know, got a bit more of an athlete to get up and down for 90 minutes. And that's probably why we are looking at this this new right-back, to be fair. That left-back come on and did well for them, I thought, as well. Yeah, he was quite good. impressed. Yeah, probably played well. One of their better players. Signed him from the same team as um, being Coney last season, uh, twice, so... Having, having seen the highlights on the match of the day, I think um, I think he was a bit uh, fortunate not to give a penalty away. But I don't know if there's any referee mm. discussions tonight. But uh, at, in, at the time, I actually thought it was already that fouled him. But having seen it on match of the day, he was perhaps uh, a little bit fortunate there. Yeah, I, I did feel that Aurier's heel was clipped. But mm. I, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a sub issue he won't necessarily go on. I, I'm at a point now, I'm not entirely sure what a foul is anymore. I mean, yeah, I think he watched the Spurs United game yesterday, like uh, the Romero handball, then there was a foul on Romero in the second half, neither given his penalties. It's like both were given his penalties last season. Uh, you know, you, then you see like, you know, you see Pickford wiping out Watkins today, that's given as a penalty, but of course Anana doing his best frog splash Eddie Guerrero WWE mixtape audition tape impression. That's nothing. Like, it's just... Oh, I don't even know anymore, but another thing for another time. <laughs> anyway, um, well, like, what was funny was that um, that was only the second time in Serge Aurier's uh, career that he's assisted two goals in a single game in top flight football. And the previous instance was also against Sheffield United for Spurs in May 2021. And uh, it was just quite all right, there, isn't it? But um, we're going from one wing back to another, Reese, And I'm going to give you Neko Williams. Now, I'm not going to mention anything because if I do, you know, I'll mention get flooded by people saying I'm being too harsh and this, that and the other. So, um, how do you think he plays? Um, I'd say pretty average, personally. Um, yeah. But ne yeah, ne Nico has come to us as a wing back. Um, and obviously that's a position it is pretty universally agreed on Twitter that he's gonna struggle in a four, so he's gonna have to play as a in a five, um, which is a wing back. Obviously, Ori's playing at right back, so he's switching to left back, which he apparently plays for the our um minnow neighbours to the west of us, um, at left back, at left wing back. Um I just don't quite think he's kind of got that turn of pace ready for a wing back for, for for kind of how we want to play because we and I've said this I said this last week as well always the same I'd just like his wing backs to be where they can get out and I know I keep going back to the one player you know and I'm not just saying this player but in an athletic player like Jed Spence that's why I think we was looking at Tavares because he's that kind of player. Um, I'm not too sure on the guy, um, the Argentine, um, Seville, what type of wing right back slash wing back he'd be. Um, but that is something as well that we was very key as well in the championship when obviously Sirianos has come back, anti in a consultancy role. 
he was saying how he wanted to be like the fastest, most athletic team in the league. And for how we play, if we are going to play a five, then wing-backs for me have got to be really athletic. Um, it's just a shame with Nika because I thought at the back end, you know, we gave him a bit of stick on this podcast. I thought at the back end of last season, he actually started to improve um, and he started to look like he'd get some confidence. And, that's, and he does look to me like a confidence player. And then, unfortunately, he got kicked in the face, didn't he? And then it's kind of set him back again to square one, really. So, my hope for him, really, is, and I said this last season, the lad needs to play regular football. Um, he, he needs to run a game. He, he can't be in, you know, last season, it was kind of one in, one out all the time, wasn't it? So, um, Aina's kind of, he's got a knock, anti, but Cooper says he'll probably be back for United. So, it'll be interesting to see if he, if he keeps his place in the team. I'm not sure if he will do, but... You know, if he's with the age profile he is, he, he he really does need a run, whatever side he's most consistent on, uh, to kind of get that confidence back for me. And um, so I'm not going to knock him too harsh for that because let's be honest, and we've said this between us in the group, there were so many underperforming players. I, th- I think probably the only person who started the game really. Obviously, in the outfield, you could, could probably come off and say I'd done really well was Tywo. I thought everyone else was pretty meh, really, is the word you'd use on social media, pretty average. So, yeah, I'm not going to just pick on him. But um, hopefully he can, if he's, you know, because we've spent a lot of money on him and I, I want to see him really get a consistent run to try and improve him because he's at the age profile where with Cooper as a coach him as well, you want to see that improvement. So we'll see what happens with Nico. I thought Williams' yeah, performance kind of took the same pattern as um, Forrest on a whole. I thought it was okay yeah. for the first half hour, okay for the yeah. last half hour, and very he, he got absolutely rinsed for that middle half hour. I thought he was mm. um, he was getting doubled up on every single time by Osborne yeah. and whoever else it was. Even like we said, like the sentiments, you know, we we both love Mangala and, and we love Danilo on this podcast. They really struggled when Sheffield United made it physical. Mm. We've always kind of been the same, Forrest, against physical sides. We. You know, our philosophy is to try and get it on the floor and playing it. When we used to have them battles with Sheffield United back in the day when Neil Warnock was manager, it was always a physical battle. You used to have the likes of, you know, Carla Sarber and them type of players up front, just big lumps, didn't they? I mean, I thought I was old. (laughs) Yeah. You even see it on that video when they're fighting in the tunnel at Millwall with Warnock. It's fucking like there's Andy Gray there and there's a load load of other, they're all like six foot four. So. Yeah, Chris they, they Morgan, kind of, yeah. They tip, yeah, the tip, tip of Jaggy Elk was a big guy, wasn't he? So, um, they've, they've always been that way, Sheffield United. So, yeah, I think, like Lee said and I've said as well, there was just a few players who probably would have come off delighted with the win, but thought, yeah, I probably need to be a bit better. But we're, we are only two games into the season, you know. We are going to still be a bit rusty at times. That is true, yeah. I did. I did one of the things I said after the game was that I don't think... And I, I don't care with if not if every Sheffield United fans listen to this, we will not play a team as bad this season and get away with playing half a team dropping four out of tens. If you if we any other any, even Everton, even Wolves, even West Ham, Fulham, all teams expected to be in that sort of bottom sector. I know West Ham won today and actually started buying some players. But if we play but if those players put those individual performances against any team with a molecule of quality. We'll get done bad. Like, that, it wasn't that half yeah, you're right. Period, yeah. Definitely. They're definitely, such a horrid. Yeah. I think we're wrong, playing like, against yeah. them. 
they're horrid to they're horrid, horrible, horrid yeah. team to play again. Mm-hmm. The manager literally typifies what they are and they're just horrible to play against. And that's why probably after I had a you know a, a Lee special slept on it, that relief kind of turned to actually we've dug in and got a result where, you know, it, it like you know, the looting game in the championship away. I like horrid was that type of game, and you're kind of coming yeah. away from them type of games thinking. How the hell have we bleeding lost this to them? You know what I mean. So to get a win and dig in, not playing at his best, yeah, that that's cause for optimism, really. Definitely, yeah. And I think you know, in terms of the optimism side of things, that sort of game last season we lost, like Bournemouth and Fulham. In fact, we lost. Yeah, literally like Bournemouth. Well. Yeah. In, yeah, yeah. It mirrored like, those games in a way, but the difference was we're now a year wiser and a year. More mature, the leads away game probably falls into that category as well. Yeah, it's 100 agree. So from from a plus side of things, it's good to say that we can sort of you know find a way out of it. And to be fair to Williams as well, he obviously it was a good block from um, Ahmed Hodzic to stop him scoring. Obviously led to the first corner, then obviously led to the goal. But yeah, I I agree with Lee. I thought he really did struggle at times, but he wasn't obviously alone in that. Um, But the last player I'm going to give is uh, for you, Lee, is Brennan Johnson and what depending on what room you believe in, may have been his last game at the City grounds. Obviously, Chelsea have been sifting rounds and have been linked with a 40 or 45 or 50 million pound bid, depending on which newspaper you read. Um, interestingly, Adam said after the game, Johnson was possibly our worst player on the night and didn't look bothered. And obviously, we had you know a few people in the Septonic thoughts say as well that, you know, that Johnson wasn't good enough. I felt that was harsh. You know, the first goal doesn't happen without Johnson. Obviously, there was a time towards the end of the first half where Robinson, very lucky not to be booked really late, flies straight through him. But then Johnson just doesn't go anywhere near him again until we go. We changed to the four-two-three-one, and then he started actually getting on his bike a bit more and probing. But how do you think he played, Lee? Yeah, you're right. The first goal doesn't happen without him. Um, I would agree. I'm not going to go the other end of the scale and say it didn't look bothered. I, I don't people I tell you what people are judging that on. They're judging that on there was a, a 50-50 challenge with Jack Robinson near me actually. Um probably in the closings. It was still one one. Um maybe last 10, 15 minutes. And Johnson just completely wasn't interested. Um I I get paying fans not they love to see both players go in in those situations. You want your player to fight your team's corner in that situation, don't you? That's not John. We know that that's not Johnson, is it? He doesn't. He's just not that sort of player. Would Morgan Gibbs White have gone flying into that challenge? Maybe not, um, because again, he's that sort of player as well. Um, I'll tell you what I found really bizarre with Johnson the other night. He kept going more central, and I didn't get it. He was leaving... Again, I go back to the Aurier thing. I think he was getting annoyed, if anyone, with Cooper making him play like that and Johnson for not giving him the option. There were certain times where, I mean, I always think players are kind of told what to do by the manager and that, but why would he... There was times when he was stood like near all three of the centre-halves and it's like, no one's going to pass you the ball while you're there. Um, I just thought it was a strange tactic um, if it was intentional. Again, I go back to the point, when people don't want the ball because things aren't quite going right for them, they go and stand their defenders. I'm not. I'm going to draw the line and say I'm not saying Johnson was doing that. Um, 
it must be difficult for the lad. I'm going to give him some sympathy. He's got all this talk in the paper. Players will always come out with the media train stuff. Oh, I don't read the papers. I don't do this. Don't do that. Do you not think his agent's been turning around and saying, look, we've got this club interested, this club interested? He'll know what's going on behind the scenes. I think to give him some credit, perhaps perhaps it just wasn't his sort of game against a team like Sheffield United. Um, like you say, Christian, he did, he did. We don't score the first goal without him. So it's hard to kind of... If I was doing player ratings, he'd probably get like a... He wouldn't move from his six. He did some okay stuff and he did some stuff that's really poor for a player who, like Gibbs White has, has built himself such a reputation that when the chips are down, he typically pops up with an important goal or something. So I don't think he was as bad as some are making out. Um, do I think it's his last City ground appearance? It's looking like it, isn't it? Um, I, I just hope we don't get the usual, oh, he's crap anyway. Um it always happens at every club. I'm not just saying that's a Forest thing, but if he goes for 50 million, you just know what sort of tweets and what sort of things are going to be. Oh, he's not very good anyway. That's completely bollocks. It's complete nonsense. He's scored some important goals for us and his rise from being a Lincoln loanee to a Premier League player has been pretty phenomenal, to be fair. So if he goes, I think it should be a deal that is in the best interests of the club, which is what Marinakis will do anyway. By the sounds of it, he's talking to Chelsea and he won't accept less than 50 million. And I think he should be sent on his way with our best wishes, to be fair, for what he's done over the last two years. No, I completely agree. If, if there is a point this window, which you know, sadly is looking likely that we do say goodbye to Brennan Johnson, at least for the time being, you know, he has to be our best wishes. We're not, we're not, you can make a very strong argument we wouldn't be a Premier League club without him. I don't just mean the goals getting us promoted. I mean, the goals he last season that kept us up. You know, very important match-winning goals as well. Like, you know, the the brace at Everton that got us a point. You know, the brace at Leicester that got us three points. The, uh, what's it, the goal against Leeds that got us three points. You know, you take even two or three of those out and we go down. Like, there's no getting away from him. He's a very influential footballer and his loss will be you know, impacted quite a lot. But equally, like, I find that unless we're playing a four-two-three-one, it seems that I don't like him like as like a right sort of forward in the Premier. It doesn't seem to work like it did in the Championship. I don't know because we're not on the ball as much or anything like that, but or maybe because he hasn't got a dynamism behind him. Someone like Jed Spence, for example, where you could sort of overload that side, and you know you got defenders terrified because it's a pace like, attack. I don't know what it is, but I, it, when we saw him as a right winger for the last like fifteen minutes or so. He looked better, a lot better. He was more involved in the game. But, yeah, it's an interesting one. And obviously, if he does leave, we'll have that conversation as on when. But in terms of incomings, as we've touched on earlier, Reese, it looks like Gonzalo Montiel will be arriving from Sevilla for £9.5 million. Yeah, for those who don't know, he's a 26-year-old right-back slash right-wing-back who's allegedly meant to be very quick. And, yeah, also has a bit of a penalty on him as well. Scored the winning penalty for Sevilla in the Europa League final against Roma, uh, literally a few months ago, actually, back in May. And, perhaps more importantly for him, scored the winning penalty to win Argentina the World Cup in 2022, which is very hugely impressive. Now, Reese, I've said before that, you know, I, I think if you have an opportunity to buy someone who is better than the player that you already have in that position, even if it's not necessarily a burning requirement, you shouldn't pass it up. And it does feel as if that we may be doing that with this chap. What do you think? Um, I mean, it's a bit strange to just think with a right back, I suppose, but what do you think of the whole transfer? Um, 
It's a, it's a weird one because like this is the same with Turner. You we've obviously seen these guys play, but because you're not kind of focused on them, they're just a, one player on the pitch, aren't they? So obviously, like I seen Turner in the World Cup against Wales, obviously against England. But I mean, he may as well come sat sat with me that night in the pub of Pilkiston, England gave him that little to do. So obviously, Montella, I, I just have seen him, but obviously not been focused on him. So I don't know. I don't really know too much about him. Um, I think Nathan's going to provide us with a bit more info on it, um, like our South American correspondent <laughs> nowadays. So, um, yeah, it, see, it seems um, seems a reasonable fee, doesn't it? I mean, for a, for a World, World Cup winner, nine million. Um, so, yeah, it kind of, as I said to you earlier, Christian, it kind of says to me, like, is somebody going to leave? Um, so, obviously... I think I might have mentioned this in previous pods, you know, the Saudi window doesn't close until like mid-September, which for me, I think that's going to cause absolute chaos because the Premier League teams are going to have the team, the squad set, and then Saudi teams could come in and like for us, say with Oreo, he's only got what will be then 10, 11 months left on his deal. Oh, we'll give you this big bag of money. And he, he could kick up a sink and say, I want to go. So, and then obviously we couldn't get anybody in because the transfer window's shut. I mean, that is the alarming thing of it, really. Um, so obviously, with us having quite a few right-sided players, that kind of either says to me somebody's probably going to leave, um, or the only other option really is that Cooper, because we can't get a left back in for a deal. What we want is probably going to switch Williams to left back, and I know Williams will be the two left backs as we stand, because we're still waiting on Omar Richards. I mean, it's just been a bit of a nightmare, and uh, bless him, it's just not happen for him you know I think he had a another setback in Tion in pre-season Cooper was saying he's got to get like his body back up to Premier League speed and obviously because the trading goes up he was you know pulling up and and obviously Toffolo he's had um, an injury as well plus he's got these betting charges over his head so we're not kind of sure what's going to happen there so obviously if you to push them two to your left backs then obviously you kind of have Montiel come in um, obviously, Aurier is the one who has been linked to Saudi. Um, and the other one's being Connor, who again, he would not see much of him. He's come back from a, a long term injury. So it wouldn't surprise me if he is somebody as well who might get a loan out to get back to France, maybe, or in the Championship to play some regular football. So um, we'll kind of have to see, won't we, really? Um, you know, this guy might come in, Montiel, and we might still sign a left back. Um, the Tavares links have gone quiet now, aren't they, again? So, um, you know, we'll have to see. But I don't, you know, I've, I've seen him, but because, we, like I said, you're not focused on that player. I don't I don't know a lot about him, to be honest. Um, that's why I've messaged Nathan earlier to give us a bit more insight on him. So we'll, we'll stick that in the pod. But, um, yeah, it'd be nice to have a World Cup winner, wouldn't it, in the squad. And a third Argentine to play for Forest after Padula and Claudio Jacob, it will be. Some big boots to fill there. I mean, it, it seems like um, Tavares is off to Villa now, it looks like. Which, oh, right. in case what it is, fine. So we might find a new target for that one then. So another one off the long list we'll be going for. But um, <laughs> just in case Nathan doesn't actually contribute anything, he did tweet, he said that if Oreos to leave, then Montiel was a tremendous replacement. Reads the game well, was offensively sounds, happy to advance up the pitch. 
something we saw a lot of when he was in Argentina at River Plate. Can be a bit rash, but another upgrades if Forrest can get this one over the line. And also, not to mention, a winner won the Copa America, World Cup, and Copa Libertadores, which, and obviously the Europa League now as well. So that's quite an impressive CV. And um, you can never have enough winners at a football club. So certainly not the bad thing. And we, we've also been linked by the same journalist who wrote that really with Nicolas Dominguez from Bologna, a 25-year-old, also Argentine international, who was part of their Copa America winning team, but not the World Cup winning team. Haven't actually found that the reason why yet. I don't know if he was injured, which wasn't picked. But it does seem as if he's maybe slightly more defensively minded, but also a bit more of a box-to-boxy player as well. So that could also maybe infer that Kuyate be off? I don't know. But what do you think of that link? Do you think he's the, the mystical number six signing that we want to the hold of short of the midfield? Or do you think that it'll be him and maybe someone else? Lee, you're on mute, mate. <laughs> Lee, you're on mute. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, I was just saying I'm not. Um, I'm not going to pretend I'm some sort of Syria hipster, James Richardson wannabe. Um, I've never seen him play. Um, looking at the stats, I had a quick look at the stats just as I do work purposes. Um, it, like you say, it looks like he is predominantly a six, but has lots of the capabilities of a number eight. So um, I actually think we will. It, I think it'd be. I still think we'll target a stellar name as our number six. Um, I'd expect some movement going out with the midfielders. Freuler, Kriate, wouldn't surprise me if either of those two went. I think I've read before this summer that um, Kriate and Aurier had um, offers from Saudi Arabia. So I don't know if that's still the case. Um, I think Saudi Arabia just want to buy everyone, don't they, to be fair. Um, so, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if there was a bit more juggling about with the midfield ranks. Um, but, yeah, I wouldn't expect Dominguez to be the last midfield signing this summer, to be fair. No, it will be interesting to see what he's saying. I mean, he obviously looks pretty good on paper. It's only 25 as well, so still ample room to grow. In theory, you know, you can get like six, seven years out of him if he's good. And obviously, if he's good enough to play for Argentina fairly regularly, then you know, he must be something there. I think um, it was him and Rodrigo de Paul as sort of the main sort of anchor options. So that's pretty good competition. <laughs> what I would say, I think, um, again, I've said it probably on the last, since we read about us wanting to adopt the Brighton model. Um, these two signings that we've been linked with completing today, that they're very much in that sort of, that they've both got good profiles, I think. Vastly experienced, yet still at a nice age where, the, if they're not at the peak now, they will be within the next 12 months sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, dare I say some of those that content, constantly feel like they've got to bash those at the club doing the jobs. I don't know. Will it be a sliding doors moment? And will they kind of, if we get them both over the line, we've got to do that first, obviously. But uh, will these be the couple of signings where people actually say, do you know what? These owners aren't bad. I, I, I fear not, but uh, we can live in hope, eh? It might be Ross Wilson that gets that treatment. You never know. Um, I'm pretty sure there's still someone somewhere blaming him for something that he's morally um, responsible for. But I hope this Dominguez is like De Paul because he's an absolute bastard, Roger. You go De Paul, and I could. Is, do, yeah. We could do with somebody. That's what obviously Yates. We really could. Yeah. 
and oh, someone who imagine can him and Yates teach Sheffield United at the age game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go back to go play Luton at Kenilworth Road with Yates in this chat yeah. Domingo's in midfield just like batting the <laughs> shit out of them. Felipe <laughs> behind them, another bastard. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> finally some physicality in the team but um, anyway we are going to wrap up we have um, a bit of a rarity next week and that it's a 3 o'clock kickoff on a Saturday and not only that it's a 3 o'clock kickoff on a Saturday at Old Trafford which is something of a collector's item um, especially help given their European exploits more often than not uh, so yes we'll, we go away to Manchester United in what is I believe our last game before the transfer window closes anyway so uh, race Start with you. Adam's given his prediction. He's gone for a 2 0 Manchester United win. Didn't elaborate on that. Just said 2 0 as a headline for number. So, Reese, what do you think is the uh, your, your forecast for next week? Um, I, I caught the odd bits of their game yesterday because I was on a stag do and it was on the pub. So, I was just glancing at it a couple of times. I mean, the times I did glance at it, I mean, they look pretty poor, Manchester United. I mean, they was absolutely dreadful against Wolves. They shouldn't have won that game. Um, the referee Rob, Rob, Rob Wolf's at that penalty at the end and, and got him out of jail, really. But, um, I mean, our record at Man, my record at Man United last season was atrocious. Wanted two visits and a 5 0 drubbing on the two scores, with one of the games not even really mattering. So, um, it's gonna be it's gonna still be tough. Um, it's kind of one of them, isn't it? You're kind of going to expect Manchester United to come out more of the same. It's going to be pretty drab or Ten Hag's going to kick them up the backside and instead of stinking the place out, they're probably going to be a lot better. Um, I'm not sure if that... Is that Hoyland still not fit for him? I'm not sure if he'll be fit. But that's that's kind yeah, of... He's out still yeah, that's a good thing. They're saying he might... Yeah. I think they're saying to maybe start this international break. So, right. yeah, we should be pretty fine. Well, that's, that on crutches, that's, but yeah. Yeah, that's that's good for us because him coming into the team would probably give him a little boost. Um, I've, they're planning on protesting aren't they, as well. Um, they've lost a couple, so the yellow and green scarves oh, are yeah. out again. <laughs> um, yeah, the Norwich scarves yeah, are out again, boys. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be tough. I mean, t- with our record from last season, that's what you can only really go on. I'd like to think we can take some confidence after that Arsenal game at the end and also some confidence out of the fact we wasn't particularly at the races the other night, but we still managed to get the three points. So overall, it's been a pretty positive start for us, you'd say, especially if we can maybe get a couple in this week and gives everyone a little bit of a boost, doesn't it? So um, it's going to be tough. Um, but I am going to predict us to get on the score sheet this year. Um, and I'm going to go for the same prediction what served me well at Arsenal, um, but it's going to be a 2-1 win to Manchester United, I'm afraid. Lee, what about you? Well, I'm not going, so we'll probably win. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't disagree. Me, me neither, so we we'll probably will win. Yeah, yeah I mean, um, I can't disagree with a lot Reese said, to be fair. I think um, United have started pretty poor. I mean, they were awful against Wolves, weren't they? Um, yeah, it's difficult. It, it, it's largely going to depend on what our game plan is. If we go there and play like we did away more often than not last year, then we probably will get turned over. Um, I think as it is a protest day, I think it's interesting to keep it tight for the first half an hour maybe. If we can go in level at half-time, that'd be even better. Um, I'm going to go for some positivity and I'll get called mad for this. I think we'll draw 1-1. I've got no rhyme or reason. Nice. I just, I just think, 
Why not? We've, I actually think I've come round to the idea of playing these games early doors. We haven't got to play them later on in the season. There's no such thing as a free hit in the Premier League, but I think on the basis that they're kind of intertwined with lots of winnable games at home, I actually don't think we've got anything to lose with these away games. Um, and I, I've still got a sneaky feeling that we will get a shock result at one. I said at the start of the season, we'll get a shock result at one of the first four. So I think it'd be a pretty shock result if we got a draw at Old Trafford, but let's hope and pray that we do. If we can get Tyro, if we can get it in the channels to Tyro, you, you know, Martinez has started the season really poor, you know, really poor. So mm. if we can get him up against him, we, he can cause problems. Tyro can cause any defender problems with his physicality. And now this extra turn of pace he seems to have as well. Plus he's on absolute fire, isn't he? He's the, the form striker in the league, really. So mm. if we can get if we can get him in a couple of times, then we might have half a chance. Who knows? You never know. It must be it's interesting, like the body language of watching Taiwo on Friday, like he just seems so assured himself at the minute. It's like it's I think the way they sort of describe it in motorsport is when you're driving a car and it feels like it's on the rails, like no matter what you do, everything's just going well. And like it just it you seem so assured in himself, he's so confident that you can tell, like, you know, he's proper chomping at the bit, he's really believing in himself. It's just so good to see because he just like you said, he's he is a threat to any defender in the league. Like he's gone from being this like awkward technical sort of like player to actually like a refined centre forward that can you know is proven now he can score against anyone he wants to. So yeah, it's it's really good to see that of Tywin's long mate. Took his offside um goal really well as well, to be fair. The one beautifully, was beautifully well, yeah. yeah. Really sat by the didn't he? Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um but I am also gonna um share some maybe delusional positivity um i think that from what i've seen from united so far which I mean, we know it's gonna happen now don't we it'll be like a seven nil thumping and i'll come on next sunday and say oh what a fucking disgrace it was probably having gotten it like three in the morning because of roadworks on the way back as well but um i from what i've seen of united so far i mean i watched most of the spurs game yesterday as well and okay fair enough i should have had a penalty at nil nil but they weren't good they really were not good. Like that midfield of Mount uh, Fernandez and Casemiro isn't working at the minute. Like Mount's mm. just running and not doing anything. He's not contributing to, to their play or anything like that. Um, Casemiro keeps getting left exposed, and you know we saw even at the City Ground last season in, in the cup game, like ultimately obviously it led to our demise that we made some stupid mistakes and conceded three goals, but. Even when it was a little more settled for United, and even when he looked more protected, when Gibbs White got a Casemiro, like he gave him a bloody good game. And if we're if they're leaving Casemiro completely isolated like that, then there's definitely chinks in that armor we can get at. And yeah, I just think I just say Martinez has started the season slowly. Obviously, there's protests at the Glazers for spending obscene amounts of money and not winning any trophies, which isn't really their fault. I mean, if you're um you know, if, you, if you're spending like four hundred million pounds on players and you're getting dominated by Wolves and Spurs, I don't think it's the Glazers that are the issues there. But um, you know, Norwich, Carson, all that. And been obviously, again you know, this summer, anti Ten Hag. He's, I know. He's, he's yeah. every, apart from, I know they wanted Amrabat, who was meant to be going to Liverpool. That still might happen. Day, but, that's, yeah, yeah that's still they've, might happen, they've signed like... Mason Man. They've signed a goalkeeper he wanted. They've signed Hoyland. I know he's injured, which, but that's who they wanted. So he's been backed again, really. Yeah, there's, there's no like issues. Like I, I find it very bizarre. Like, but again, obviously, it's deeper issues that maybe we aren't aware of as just outsiders. But um, 
we could be going to a rather inwardly toxic Old Trafford crowd, which is something we could definitely make the most of. I am going to say we're going to draw one all. I'm going to go agree with Lee and go for one all draw. I think that it's very possible we could get something there. Um, I, I can't see us keeping a clean sheet. I can't see us winning. But I can see us scoring. I can see us frustrating them. I can see them booing the fuck at full time. I can see you know, them kicking off and complaining and moaning until they sign another 50, 60 million pound player on deadline day and then the scarves go away for a few weeks. I can... Yeah, I, I think we've got a chance to cause a bit of an upset. And obviously, like it depends on how we set up. I mean, if we play the last, the intensity of the, like the last 20, 25 minutes at Arsenal, we've got a good chance. Like, obviously, we went to Liverpool last season. Okay, we lost 3 2, but we landed some punches. We got in the game where they knew they left that game having to work very hard for a win. Went to Chelsea, again, a game everyone wrote us off in, a game that we were under massive pressure from the start because Leeds, I think they got something at Newcastle, home to Newcastle that day, and we got a 2 all draw. We came out from behind the second time to get a second goal. So, you know, I think this the psychological sort of thing we may have had at away grounds is somewhat lifting, even last week at Arsenal. Like, you know, the Forest team from last season at 2-0 down through no real fault of our own. Uh, they deflected the goal and a great strike. They probably would have lost that game 5-0, but we held in, we dug in and we landed the punch back. So, yeah, I'm going to be cautiously brave and say we're going to draw one all, and that would be stupendous if we got a point there because it would be the funniest thing in the world. But um, anyway, we'll see you as we'll get on. And we will be back probably recording next Sunday, hopefully with a few new players in boots. Um, and maybe brush up in your Spanish. We are going to sign a few more Argentinians as well. So until then, massive win again and come on you Reds. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage of McDelivery. You win? Order now on McDonald's app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery free in terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.